On this episode, John and I get into episode two of season two, of course, uh, but we are really, again, just kind of like getting into this off season. It's been kind of crazy. John's been out uh, golfing in Florida, which has been awesome, but we're thinking about how we're going to work on our games. We talk a little bit about how the off season is odd with some of these, uh, I'll call them, or I guess at least in the episode, we talked about how they were villains or heroes and those kind of things. As well as we get into, you know, are we going to dive into some wedges? And then as we wrap it up, we have this cool Indiana 100% corn-based bourbon from Old 55. We're really excited to talk about that with you all. So check it out. I've got this one about two balls out to the right. I'm telling you, man, it's a speed putt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Season 2 of the Faded Golf Podcast. My name is Mark Chulene. As always, I'm here with my main man, Mr. John Falkenberg. John, what's happening, my brother? What's up, bro? Uh, about a week and a half has passed since our uh, first episode of Season 2. Um, I think, uh, as you and I were kind of discussing before we started the show, the the golf world, like, I mean, you go you go back into it like as far as like professional golf, and it's hard to get really excited about what's going on in professional golf. There's guys like Brendan Todd winning two in a row. I like Brendan Todd. I like him, but he's not Sergio Garcia. He's not Phil Mickelson. He's not these. That's these, a that's a that's just a like a terrible comparison to start with. I, so I, I, I was joking. And there with was the no there was no foreplay with your conversation. I, the way you jumped right into it. I was joking with the Sergio. The way you jumped right into this conversation. I know. Let's I just know. let's just talk. Let's just right. like hey well, hey we'll talk anyway. Hey, how you doing? Before we get into the pro game, but anyway, my point is is that uh, there hasn't been a lot going on other than you traveled a little bit. Yeah, a little which bit. We'll get into that in a, in a minute. Um, there has been some decent golf. There's, you know, some players like Brendan Todd that are really exciting. We're Do you miss about. golf? Do you miss golf right now? Um, I, the, what? You, you don't. Know? You don't. You don't. You kn- I can tell. You knew the answer before. You, and most, good, Either do I. Good sales guys know the answer before they ask the question, right? No, I don't. I don't. And a lot of, mo- lot, lot of guys around don't. And you know what? I think a lot of pro golfers would be okay with, like, not. Um, I, at times, I know you and I get, I, I get into, um, I don't want to call it, like, a depression. I think there, there is, like, a, a lull in the fall where you're kind of like, oh, crap, I'm missing something. But what, what ends up happening is that you find something else to spend your time on, and I think that's one of the reasons this podcast was born a year ago, is that uh, it's, a, it's a great way for us to talk about golf. It's a great way for us to obviously get together and spend some time together um, other than on the golf course and in these shitty months that we have ahead. Um, and I, I look at, uh, you know, my work. I look at, uh, obviously, my family and a lot of things that, you know, we do. And, you like, you just lean in in other areas, you know. And we focus so much on, like, becoming better hobbyists of our game that you're right at, at times you're like hey you know what I, I could use a break from my hobby I don't th- and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but guys like us need hobbies so we, 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 we need other things besides look golf is my you know it's our I think that's probably like our passion for it's our, our hobby. thing man it's, it's our thing it's our thing but like you've been playing some pickleball I've been playing some pickleball yeah we've kind of gotten into that a little bit it's fun it's fun I mean, I, I take my boys to tennis, and I'm like, damn, I wish pickleball was going on on the other courts. Yeah, I'm not a big tennis guy. I don't. I'm not. I, no. I, every, every t- and I've told this story to some other people. The problem with tennis is that people who have grown up playing it and playing it at some competitive level, they take it so seriously that, like, you can't even have fun playing it. Whereas pickleball, I feel like you can play at any level – and yeah, there might be some people that might get frustrated with you because you're like not as good or whatever it is, and you have. But the but difference is not tennis. It's it's it's, it's not the it's same. It's definitely not the same. I feel like there's guys that are like, dude, if you can't play, bring it today, like in tennis, I feel like there, there's guys that if you don't bring it today, they're like, dude, get off my court. 
Whereas like pickleball, I don't get that feeling. Nope. People are out there to have a good time. You may, hey, you know what? We all make some bad shots. We make some errors, or we're like, oh shit! Clearly, I'm out of my league on this court. Whatever it is, and that happens. Yeah. Pink, uh, so pickleball, I would like compare to maybe. Gosh, it's like kind of like a. It's giant ping pong. It's giant ping pong. That's good. I, that's good. Giant ping pong with like a mix of racquetball. I think with the way you um, you definitely try to hit it, angles, shots, angles, and 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 um, the the different types of shots. Giant pickle, giant ping pong is the best comparison. Yeah, because I the only difference that I would say between that makes uh, pickleball a little bit different than ping pong is that there's the dink shot, right? Like you don't find yourself in a game of ping pong. Where you start really dinking it against somebody else, and I think so it's there's a little bit difference there. Yeah, because you can't get that close to that. But the ball reacts similar to a ping pong ball, and that like you do hit it harder, but it's air slows that thing down much faster um, than a tennis ball. Like I feel like a tennis ball just keeps kind of rocketing at you; it doesn't necessarily slow down real fast. The but. dink shot is the it's it's the ultimate in pickleball. If you can learn how to just drop it over that net, mm-hmm. it's fun. Well, it makes it fun. So a different game. Uh, but I, I do think where you and I have gone and where our heads have gone is that uh, we love having hobbies. We love doing some other stuff. Um, one, one of the reasons that we we taste some beverages on this show is because it's kind of a little sec- secondary hobby of ours as well. So, But I think it's a good thing to, like, lead in. And, you know, we don't talk a lot of pro golf, but you see a lot of these, like, like uh, the best golfers in the world, they're not really focused right now. Because they wanted wow. some time off, just like anybody else. But you have these guys that are fighting for their living, and they want to get their card. And That's they're why Brandon turn- Todd's winning tournaments. Exactly. But, you know, if you had all the top players in the world playing in those same tournaments, Brandon Todd was playing, do you think he would have won almost three times in a row? Hard to tell. I know. I don't know. I mean, hard to tell because some of these tournaments He was do, shooting 61, some 63. These, some of these tournaments How do you do, beat that? Correct. Some of these tournaments still do have some of the top guys in the, in the world that are playing, but they just might not be into it right now. They might be treating it like an off-season, but they're like, hey, uh, some sponsor paid me like 50 grand to show up and play in this tournament, so I did. And so they're kind of phoning it in. And I, Hey, I don't, I don't necessarily have any evidence of that. But I guarantee you there are some guys that, especially in these off-season kind of tournaments, as I'll call them, they're phoning it in because some sponsor's giving them 100 grand or 50 grand to show up. Would you take 50 grand yeah. or, 100, or 100 grand to try to win 2 million? Yep. I would. Yep. I'd yep. take it just to show up. Young guy, I mean. Whatever. Like, like, like Poulter. Like, there's no reason for a guy like Poulter to probably show up to any tournament. But if his spot, if like, he likes Ferraris, though. Absolutely. So if somebody's going to give him a hundred thousand dollars to show up at tournament, he's going to freaking show up. Have you ever seen his YouTube videos or Instagram or whatever Twitter? Like he 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 went on a tour of Europe in his Ferraris with his buddies. I mean, that's. Do you like Ian Poulter? Other than the fact that you kind of look like him, <laughs> do you like Ian well, Poulter? Ian, Ian, let's put. Hold on. Ian, I want to know if you like Ian well, Poulter. Well, one. Ian personally told me he doesn't think we look anything alike. So, which, and I told him in response, thank God. And that, that, that's a true story. So, do you um, like Ian Poulter? Um, I am okay with Ian Poulter. I think he's good for the game. So, let me, let me explain why I think he's good for the game. The reason that he is good for the game is because he mixes it up. And you and I were having a conversation before about people that mix it up in our own circles. Right. And we believe that those people are good for the game, too. Right. So we like we have guys at the club that mix it up. Those are good dudes. Yeah. They mix it up, though. Like they they play slow. They do stuff that that mix it up. They they maybe overindulge. Right. We we all know those guys. All anybody can relate to the guy at the club that mixes it up. And where where Ian mixes up is he owns who he is, and I think that's fantastic about Poulter. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's the whole reason that people want to beat them. And he he loves being the villain. He loves it. And you know what? He's a great villain for the tour. He's a fantastic villain for the tour. Just I was like, just still just trying to get the point if you like him or not. Do I like him? I told you I'm like a six or a seven on the guy. So meaning like I like him because I like villains every now and then. Like 
I'm a, probably a five or six on Patrick Reed because I like the villain. But he's, I don't know. I don't, I, that's, a, that's just a whole new conversation. No, Ian it's Poulter, not. No, it's, it, it's, so, it's so different. It's different. Like Ian Poulter, you're right. He's well, good. The, he's, Ian Poulter's good for the game. Like, oh, well, like he, Patrick, he, Patrick is kind of a douche. So that's where, I, Ian, I'll tell you what, but, that's but, where I'm a five probably on Patrick because I think he's good for the game because he's a villain. But but uh, I will say Poulter, and probably why I lean towards seven actually now on Poulter, now that I put those two in context, because Poulter's brand is much better. He's still a stylish guy. He's a professional, right? Yeah. Brand better? Who? Patrick? No, Poulter. Poulter. Yeah, Reed's brand well, is terrible, but he's good for the game because he's a villain. Well, people think that Patrick is a kind of a douche. He's he's a total douche. I don't know though. He's he's back to dude, he's got a major. He's a stud golfer. But there's a lot of like shit about I mean, even well, like, his, even his off the course his off the course like history is and the way terrible. And the way he transferred to him. His 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 college history is terrible. His whole history with his family and his wife creates a terrible narrative for him and it puts it puts him in the villain mode. Probably is we don't know frickin' Patrick. We have no. I know, I have and no that, that's the thing. Like, that's why I have to back. I have to back that up. It's like, look, what if we talked to him? He was cool as shit. If we had him on the podcast, he, right? Yeah, he but, might actually be. But the, he, but he has to look, man. People like label him as a douche. They, you're only as good as what the media will label label you as, and you're like, we're not the media. And but unfortunately, we, I think I feel like a little bit. We drink the Kool Aid a tad. Absolutely, we do. You, you, we, I mean, I, we love Phil. You know, hey, you, Patrick could totally turn around his narrative if he would actually be good on social media. Phil Mickelson, Jason Duffner, they're fucking great on social media. Ricky Fowler, good, good on social media. Guess what? We end up liking them more because they actually are like more transparent and out there and open and whatever. And Patrick's this guarded character. Pol- Poulter, the his brand. We go back to the brand on Poulter. One of the reasons Poulter's brand is decent is because he like throws it out there. He's more transparent on who he is, and you know what? Yeah, he's kind of a, kind of an ass. Yeah, he's kind of an ass. He's kind of full of himself. Yeah, he kind of is, and right? I kind of like it. And I kind of like it. I'm not lying. Like, yeah, I've asked you this question. Like, if you liked him, and you said like I'm kind of six or seven. Yeah, I kind of like him. I, 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 I kind of like him. I can't say I don't. I kind of like his bravado. But you know what? Ooh, I like that word for but him. You That's know, a great description. But you know who else has bravado? Tell me. It's Patrick. Ap- well, unfortunately, he's just got he the does. history. He does. But he doesn't have the shitty history, too. You know, and so I think it, the, the problem with the media today, the problem with social media today, the problem with a lot of things today is that um, you get a couple bad stories about you and it can spiral you down some weird friggin' path that um, I mean, we're seeing in sports across the board. You're seeing it at, um, from the college level and up. If you have some bad history of doing something, it can ruin you forever. It can ruin you. Absolutely ruin you. So, well, I mean, everybody's and, and, be careful. But, I mean, that's exact going back to what you just said right there. Like, Patrick had a bad history at Georgia. Yep. He transferred to uh, where Augusta was Augusta State. And right? he won a two, one or two national championships. One, I think. Because yeah. he's fucking incredible. Huh? But he had a bad reputation in college yeah. at Georgia. He was arrogant in college. He th- I mean, he would tell everybody he was going to be, you know, the best golfer in the world, and he was the best that's golfer. Free, and that's that's, I mean, <laughs> and hey, you know what? Arrogance to me, like I look at, I look at a lot of successful people, and I, nobody would ever tell you that Tiger isn't freaking arrogant. That's a different level. Like I think it like, is. Let's, let's bring let's bring let's bring it down. It is, let's bring it down to guys that have won some. Sure. Or have done a somewhat well in business, but not like incredible. But they took that mentality up front before they haven't won shit. Tiger, Tiger had that. Every, Tiger had Tiger that had it three years old, like four years old. Like, well, it was embedded into him by his dad at a young age, for sure. And he had the physical ability. I mean, there was he's like, made it work. Like Patrick, you look at him, you're not like. <laughs> I mean, do you? Do you think? Do you think that guy would I beat think you? Stellar athlete. Could he beat us in basketball? You know, I have no idea. No way. 
If I was the same you. age as him, no way. There's zero chance. I, but bum, maybe he could fucking bum knee or not bum knee. But you know what? He's the type of guy. <laughs> but he's the type of guy that I bet you could just throw up like fucking three pointers and just. I I look at you know basketball. He's probably a, deceivingly tall too. Basketball is an interesting sport in how it relates to golf, in my opinion, and that it's kind of the same premise, right? You're like trying to get a ball in a freaking hole. And for whatever reason, I feel like there's just this judgment type thing, and um, th- I think I think golfers are decent at shooting basketballs. That's just me. I just, I just some. There could be some guys that are just non-athletes. No, nah, some. There's that. I don't know. I do. I quit. Here's the thing we were we were talking about uh, when I was down last I've week. I've seen Bubba Florida. Watson shooting a basketball no, before. It's, and it's pretty ugly. Yeah, it's pathetic. Yeah. So we were down last week. Um, in Florida for a member guest at my, my club in uh, Estero. And uh, uh, Coach, Coach has been on the – he's been on coach the Coach Bryant. And we were talking about, like, scoring and putting. We equated putting, and we both agreed on it. It's kind of like pool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, you got to play the angles. Yeah, you got to play the angles, and, like, you're hitting a ball, like, in a little it's, – it's, it's different than shooting. But, you know, Coach is a good – like, he's a good shooter. He's an athlete. He's a, He's a good freaking baseball, college baseball pitcher. And he look, coach is not. He's, he's four foot ten. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how tall he is. Love coach. But we both equated putting to like pool. Like if you're good at that, like you can putt, dude, that's the equalizer. And I think our good friend, our club champ, Matt Pate, he, he might agree with some of that too as well. Uh, he's he, he's the best he, putter. He sees things on the green that most people don't see. I guarantee it. And it, it's a it's a vision thing. It's a it's being able to paint a picture, being able to envision a line and the where. Do the you think that's going. a vision thing or an execution thing? A little bit of both. I think it's an execution thing. Once you know that you can execute, then you know your lines are good. I think it's a little bit both, and and mainly because there's speed involved, and so. Um, like if you look and we were, did I, t- I think we talked about this story last time and we talked that's about such the best line. That's the line of this podcast. What? It's a speed butt. It's a, well, it is. <laughs> and, and so did, did we talk about this last with Rory? Do we talk about the Rory, uh, with the, cause he was on, he was being interviewed or, um, Brad Faxon. Did we talk about this? No, I can't remember if we talked about this. I don't remember. So, um, I can't remember what podcast it was. It might have been No Laying Up or... No, it was, uh, it was Bacon. I think it was Shane Bacon. Shane Bacon's interviewing Brad Faxon, and, and Faxon is telling the story about how um, he started coaching McElroy. And oh, yeah, we did a little bit. We but I want to hear it again. So, so McElroy is uh, working... He's at a clinic or whatever, and they're working on 20-foot putts, like showing it off to this clinic, 20-foot putts. He's like, here, watch this. And he's like... He's like, I'm going to die this one in. I'm going to put this one in right in the center. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hit this one firm or whatever it was. And he would have to pick a different line for each speed from 20 feet. And he was holding them all. Faxon? McElroy. Wow. Okay. So to me, it is about the speed. It is about seeing the line. And it's about understanding all that stuff. Dude, that's our motto. It's a speed putt. It is a fact. I mean, like, it's Absolutely. fun. It's, a, it's kind of like a joke, but it's not. So w- that's where I was going with, like, Matt and with good putters, and is, I think where you were going in that. Um, it first takes a vision. Like, where, where do I see this line going? And then, okay, now what speed do I need to hit that to get it there? And the, the common answer is, okay, my usual speed or whatever it is. But... How often do we really think about, especially as amateurs, how often do we think about dying it in versus hitting it firm and what line I take differently? You know, you know, when we miss stuff on the high side on a short putt, I guarantee you it's because we think we need to hit it f- a nice firm putt, but we take the same line as an average putt and we still miss it high I, and vice versa. I think you're on to something, but I disagree with the order chronologically. Oh, I, you I think, think you think speed first. Hundred percent. No, no. I think execution first. Once you know you can hit a line, once you know, like, hey, I know where that putt's going. Like a lot of people don't know that, dude. They don't. They like don't know where their putt's going. 
But then, so time out. You're telling me what you're telling me right now is alignment. No, no. I'm saying execution to know where you're going to put that putt first. So if you're if you're like if you're aiming at something and you can't hit it at that mark, then like it, nothing else matters. But what I'm saying is that like execution to me is the most important thing. Once I do that, I feel like everything else falls in place. Like my speed, I get more relaxed. I can just hit the putts at the hole and I feel good. Yeah. Because if I miss, if I miss past like four feet, I don't feel like, oh, a four footer or a five footer. I feel like I can make it because I know I can hit my line going back because I can execute. Yeah. It's just to me, execution of like hitting that line is it, it it's it's the most important thing to me. Up front. And I, I would I Speed. you know what I will agree with you from an amateur perspective that that is like probably ninety nine percent of the time very true. But most and people that, don't have that, that, man. They that don't people, have that. People are not even sure if they're gonna hit it straight. Yes. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Once so, you learn you can hit so, it straight. Well, the the problem ends up becoming and what slows down the game is that people get really focused on where am I lined up? And it's like, well, if you can't even hit it to that where you're fucking lined up, I don't give a shit where you're lined up. Do you know do you know why I don't use putters with lines? Hmm. Because I hit to spots. It's all it's all just it's all in my it's like, head. It's like shooting a basketball. Like, put that spot. Got it, man. That's So, you're a feel putter. <laughs> no, I'm a speed putter. <laughs> but here, oh, but think about what you're I'm but a feel putter. But, but think, you know you can hit at that spot, so you feel good, it's and a, you know you can feel, miss. It's a feel putter. So, if you miss, a, you know, you get, go four foot past, like, who cares about speed then? Because if you all you do is concentrate about speed up front, like, your direction's shit. Then you're then you're hitting then you're hitting shit short, and then you're like oh I can't execute on a four foot putt like your line sucks it's done. Now I'm telling you execution of your line is the most important thing in putting to me. So what so what I do and this is why I don't put lines on my putters I don't I I I own like probably I don't know how many putters I own and very few of them have lines on them and the only reason they have lines if the ones I do have lines on them is because they don't. I liked the model, and the only way they made it was because they had a line on it. Anyway, um, because what I do is I pick a target. In, I pick either an intermediate target or I pick a target near the hole. It depends on how long the putt is. So on a short putt, I actually pick a target that is um, about the same distance as the hole. So it might be a blade of grass. It might be an old uh, ball mark. It might be um, a dark spot, light spot in the green or whatever it is. And I pick that as my target and I envision every putt as a straight putt. And, um, and, and I try to hit it to like, as if it were a straight putt to that spot. And I don't think about where I'm lined up. I don't think about anything. All I know is that I need that face of that putter to get that ball going at that spot. And that's what I do. And on a shorter putt, that's what I do on a longer putt. I essentially do the same thing, but I may choose an intermediate target, which I would call like the top of the arc, essentially of the putt. So let's say it's a breaking putt from left to right, and I think it's going to break like a foot to the right or foot and a half. I pick what I think is the top of the arc, and I imagine, okay, I need to roll it over that spot. And then I look for the secondary target, which would be about the distance of the hole, and I think speed there. So those become you tougher are putts. so much more mechanical than I, than I thought you were. Yeah, I did not know you were that mechanical. No, no, I get. That's I get, not mechanical. That's yeah, mental. Yeah, I know, but that's very mechanical. It's very like, very no, methodical. Mechan- I'll say methodical. methodical. Okay, that, there better. we go. Methodical. Like, your 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 mechanical would be like I am going to be target, and my shoulders need to be a certain so, way, and my elbows or whatever. My, my putter got hot last week, and like yeah. so, we had a lot of bend putts. There's a lot more bend and break. It, to me, it's like kind of like pull to me. So. I know like where to hit the ball, but I'm not picking like you can't pick a spot on a ball on a pull shot. Like it's so hard to do that. You just have to know. You have to feel it. I mean, you really do. You have to know like that angle is going to hit that ball in. Yeah. And that's how I feel like on break shots. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're picking that same intermediate target like I am. I don't because you're no, like I'm not picking a target. I'm really not. I'm like looking. I'm just like okay. I kind of start angle my body. It's like, okay, this. Do you this, not like draw a line in your mind? 
Um, if it's more flat, I do. If it's so, like very, if, so it's, when if it's looking, arched putt. When, when you're looking at the green, do you imagine like a lot, like the ball following a line into the hole? If it's less break, I do. But, but on a longer putt, you no, do not? No, it just, if there's way more break, I don't. And I hit those putts. I'm good at those more break putts. So if it's like a right to left, I just know like a certain feel, like I'm, I'm good That's with That's fascinating. You know, one of the topics that you and I um, talked about late last year and one of the things that we talked kind of when we took a little bit of a break is that um, I really wanted to get into more of the mental game. And we, I think we just kind of, we just kind of kind of let into your it a brain bit. go to work, and you got to turn that uh, that conscious mind off and let that subconscious to go to work. So tell us about your the swing you've been working on. Um, so because this is very you. So for those of you who don't know John, um, haven't played with John, John, I would I would categorize you as having a very mechanical swing. Um, it's it's home. Homemade, home built, built it over time. You know, guy who started picking up golf. What time did? What was the? What age did you play? Start playing golf. Twenty six. Okay, twenty six. Picks up a golf club for the essentially the first time. Starts working on building a game with no lessons. None. Zero. Okay, three handicap guy, two handicap guy, at this point that uh, never had a lesson other than probably a few tips here and there from random people here around that. Um, but nobody helped build his swing but himself. So it's very mechanical. It's very thought out. It's very, however, very well researched. Because So when you started your game, you read books and you looked into a lot of, uh, you know, how do I want to build a swing, correct? Yeah, like five lessons. Yep. Ben Hogan. Hogan, whatever. So now tell us a little bit of what, what have you been working on? So I know like... I, I, so I figured out my strengths. Like I'm a I'm a decent iron player. I can get it close to the green or on the green most times if I'm in the fairway. My short game's okay, um, and my putting's decent. Um, but I knew that if I didn't correct something off the tee, that hey, I, I just this game's not going to be fun to me as much anymore, or like I'm not going to improve. Mm-hmm. So. I decided, like, hey, I'm going to change my swing off the tee, especially with my driver. I was getting way too long, like way too long. And my, everything was relied on timing. You know how hard that is to be consistent at 40 years old on timing? Well aware. It's next to impossible. <laughs> so our good friend, club champ, Matt Pate, came over um, probably a little over a month ago. And he gave some pointers of what I've – what he noticed I was doing wrong. And he's played, he plays a ton. He's like me and you and him. We play a lot of golf together. Yep. You know, I was just taking the, the, the club way too off the ground too fast. I was taking it way too far back mm. and not turning enough. And I've just been working on it. And I've, it was tough at first. Like you saw, I was going through some struggles with it when I was initially trying it. But it, it kind of attributes to like what you were talking about in some other podcasts and then what we were talking off air is like, hey, I don't care how far I hit it. I don't care about the numbers on the on the simulator or anything. All I care about is like I'm going to hit the ball straight. Keep it in play. Dispersion. Yep. That's the most important thing to me right now. And it worked. So um, I, I did a lot of work. I shortened up the swing, kept the ball, kept my club head low on my backswing, yep. turned, Love it. set my hands. Love it. Set my hands at a way shorter spot. And, you know, last week, three rounds. No penalty strokes. Not one penalty shot off the tee. Not one. And in the 70s, all rounds. And it was consistent. So I can build upon that. So, folks, it can be done. You can create your own swing. 100%. 100%. You can even shorten up your swing not try to go for a huge distance and end up being a uh, more consistent golfer. You awesome. you did it last year. I did. Well, I told so we were off the air. I was, we were talking about this too and before the end of last year, I there were a few holes like tee shots out on our course that I was really struggling with. And I probably talked about this in the past, but and so I went to this what I call the choke down driver. 
And I would just, there were two things that would happen with this. One, um, it would shorten my swing. It would force me to shorten my swing because it wasn't this long, like trying to pound something. And I think it also slowed me down a little bit. And I would just hit these little choke down cuts that I didn't care if they went 250. It didn't matter to me. Didn't care. Turns out, I still end up hitting them like 270. But I've always noticed with your swing, even before when you're hitting the ball like a dickhead, you've always set your hands very well. You set your hands well, so I think when you choke down, it just helped you, helped you just shorten up that like that angle. It, I think that was it, and I think it it also like it didn't make it so that I would uh, would I have a tendency to go like to make a quick move at the top, like because I'm trying to like get a little extra out of it or something like that. And I think because I don't care if I hit it far, it would shorten things up. And and what ended up happening is that transferred I think to this year to me being like let's focus on tempo, let's focus on not overswinging, not feeling like I got to hit 300-yard bombs. But here's the thing. Like, golf became more fun for you. Uh, this past year? Hell yeah. <laughs> golf became more fun to me this past week down in Florida than I've had all year because I felt, like, mm-hmm. confident off yeah. the tee. Right. You didn't feel like you were going to lose a fucking golf ball. It fucking sucks. It's terrible. It sucks. It's and everybody can agree to that. Everybody there, can feel... There is nobody on the world listening to this or that plays sucks. golf that can't agree with losing a $5 golf ball doesn't suck. <laughs> or sitting off or sitting off of your tee shot, and you feel like, I don't know where the fuck this thing's going. Yeah. Like, have no idea. And then and the next thing you know is your next shot, you're playing three already. Yeah, that so. sucks. Yep. We agree with that. I, I don't think anybody can disagree with that. It's one of those challenges that I think we all go through. So um, that's cool. I, I think there's an evolution of where, especially from an, and this is the reason we started this podcast. Um, there's an evolution of where the amateur game can go. And maybe because you and I are like 40, 43, whatever, um, we haven't come to the realization that we're never going to be bombers and uh, we're never going to freaking go on tour or whatever it is, like the 50-, 60-year-old dudes that play golf or whatever, and they've just totally just gotten accustomed to, like, for example, we were talking about, you know, Cohen and Grace earlier. I mean, both those guys, uh, older dudes, 50-some-odd-year-old dudes, but they go out there and they slap it 250 down the middle with a little freaking burner cut or whatever it is, and they got wicked freaking short games, and they're competitive every time they go out. Every time. Because they have accepted their game. They've accepted that they're not going to hit 300-yard bombs. And maybe you and I are on the cusp of being old. Accepting. And that's really what it no, comes down but to. <laughs> you can win a club championship on that. Uh, out here, absolutely you can. Um, there's two more years out here you have a window. That's it. Because there's going to be ringers coming in. I, think, I have a feeling it's going to be the, the way it's going to be for sure. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to – got to go low one round, one, at least minimum one round, and I can't shit the bed in, on Friday. But we'll see what happens there. You want to try some booze? Um, no, I want to talk about pro golf real oh, quick. Tyler, oh, yeah, we got and it. I, and, I want, and we got wedges we got to talk about too um, real quick. So, um, so we're going to dive into some uh, pro golf real quick. Um, so one thing that happened between episodes, and we probably didn't even really notice – Brendan Todd, which we mentioned a little bit earlier, he wins two. Going into the final round, he's leading in possibly third in a row. It's nuts. Insane. That doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. On the tour, when's the last time that happened? When somebody yeah. won three tournaments? When, when's the last time someone won three? When was the last time you played two weeks in a row really, really well? <laughs> That's never happened. Right? So, never. So, but when's the last time on tour, like, someone won three tournaments in a row? Has that happened? That's a statistic for the golf channel. Oh, my God. We need to figure that out. I don't know, man. Has that happened before? I'm sure it has. I don't think it has. It it has to have happened. Three tournaments in a row? That's incredible. I don't know if anybody's won three tournaments in a row, but somebody has to have been in that position before. So, the question that came up as a result of that... Right, him being in the hunt is did Tiger make a mistake picking Ricky Fowler as the alternate to Kepka? Yes, 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 and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think there's plenty of other players. Whether whether you take Kissner or you take Brendan Todd or you take anybody else is hot right now. Um, my take on the Ricky Fowler pick, though, here's my take 
is that the President's Cup is not interesting anyway, as you and I were talking about before. Nobody gives a shit. When is that? Exactly. It's I think it's this month. End of this month. I beginning think it's of December. December, early, mid-December, whatever. D- again, nobody cares. Nobody knows when it is. And it'll be a fine event. I'm sure there'll be some interesting what anecdotes that come out of it. But Ricky sells shit. Ricky creates interest. Ricky will carve USA in his fucking head. Like, that's really what it comes down to. Ricky and Tiger are boys. Well, correct. They're boys. And, yeah. And you know what? Because they both sell shit. That's why they're buddies, too. Right? They're, Ricky is just as good for the game with a younger demo as Tiger was 15 years ago. Absolutely. The, On a the, scale. Yeah. The, the, the swagger effect... Uh, effect of those guys, depending on where they, they fit in the age group, totally matters. And that is a marketing choice for a team member, not a winning choice. And I've even heard people say, like, I hope they get their ass kicked because he didn't pick because of the right player to choose. He picked because it was a marketing piece. Brent Todd, like, the fact that he's not on that team is dumb. And Kistner's been playing well too, and a few other of these guys have been playing well. But you Has get Fowler played in three weeks. <laughs> no, he got married, went on a honeymoon. Like the guy barely played golf. It's a totally marketing move. I guarantee. Hey, it's just a they, then move. they get their ass kicked. It's on Tiger. Absolutely, it's on him because he picked himself and he picked Big Dick Rick. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even. That's a <laughs> terrible. Isn't that terrible? This is so bad. It just doesn't match him at all. So no, it doesn't. This is. Look, I love Rick, though. Rick's great for the game. He's like Poulter, except he's not a villain. He's the hero, right? So, like, he's like the 7-8 guy on the list of guys to like because he's a hero. That's won five tournaments and not a Correct. That's why he's only like an 8 guy. And the only reason you like him more than Poulter... Four or five. The only reason you like him more than Poulter is because he's actually a nice guy. Like, I like the villain only one tick less than him... Because he's because he's a nice guy like that. That it, it's heroes villains, man. It's great. I just don't like talking bad about Rick because I no. think he's such a good dude. He's a good but dude. He but just, he's just he's just he not. not a, he doesn't doesn't finish. He's nah, not a finisher. Nah, it's just not. He's not a finisher. Nah. He plays very good, solid golf. He just doesn't play great enough to win a lot, and that's okay. It's fine. You win a ton of money. Get a ton of endorsements. I, I mean, can't believe how little he is and how well he plays. He's little. He's a little dude. He, he, dude, you want to talk about one of the best putters out there? Oh, my God. Oh, he's so he's such a solid stroke. So good. I bet. You ever seen him in person? He's a tiny dude. Tiny. Yeah. He's smaller than Kisner and probably Sergio. No. He's yes. Not. He's like 5'9". No, <laughs> don't you, dude. He's smaller Time than those out. two. No way. I'm Googling this shit. <laughs> I'm totally timeout. I'm telling you, he's smaller, man. Fowler height. I'm watch this. It's oh well, no, wife comes up. H. I do, here we go. Height five nine. Yeah, five he's nine. small, dude. Look at look. Then go five Sergio nine. height. That's five nine when they stay. Not he's probably right. five seven. Oh man, five nine. You th- oh, that's like five. You think that's in shoes? Yes. Sergio Garcia five eight. Height, five ten. So he's five nine as well. So it's basically. Dude, I'm uh, telling you, Ricky is smaller than Kistner. McIlroy, how, how tall is McIlroy? Five eight, five nine. And he's probably actually five seven. I've seen him. Yeah, he's in shoes. Uh, Woods six one. That's about right. He's yeah about That's that. About right. Uh, Justin Rose. Ooh, interesting. Six foot, six one, six three. You think Justin Rose is taller than me? No. I've seen Tiger and Justin up close, and they're not that tall. Poulter six one, Poulter seems six two. Poulter actually might be six two. I he seems six two. I actually think that might be short selling Poulter. Be, I think, I he's, think six, he's the same height as me. I sat next to uh, Tiger. Like I whoa, stand. whoa! This says Spieth is six one. Spieth is big. I've no been next fucking to, way. Spieth looks as big as you. No way. You didn't know that. I always thought he was small. Mm-hmm. 
I've stood next to Tiger, and I thought, like, people thought he was big. I was like, I mean, I'm only like 5'11", 6 foot. I felt right next to him. Wow. Spieth is bigger than what you think. I, no, I, I, I actually might like him more now because he's taller. I always thought he was a little guy like Fowler. No, no, he's not. He's big. Kepka, six foot. Johnson, six four. Phil Mickelson, six three. That has to be in fucking shoes. Phil's big. Phil is six three, six two, six three. Eh, whatever. Johnson is not six four. Zero chance of that. <laughs> Zero. He's not that big. How tall is Jacoby Brissett? Let's see, six five. He's uh, six seven maybe. Actually, he might only be 6'4". Time out. If Dustin Johnson is 6'4". Bullshit. And Jacoby Brissett is 6'4". You know who's a big dude? Look up John Sinden. He's, I saw him in person. He's big. You know who John Sinden is? John Sinden. That name sounds familiar. Dude, he's he a, a golfer. golfer? Yeah. yeah. Look up John Sinden. Hold on. It says Jacoby Brissett is 6'4". Dude, that guy could smother and smash fucking Dustin Johnson. Absolutely Look, crush him. I agree. Look up John Sendon. He was one of the bigger guys I saw out there. All right. I like this. This is actually better than the buy-sell. How big are these fuckers, and do we believe it? 6'3". He's big, and he is all a bit of 6'3". Yeah. Bubba Watson, 6'3"? No fucking way. No way. No way. No way. That has to be in golf Zero, shoes with, no cl- with cleats. Justin Thomas, as they say, he's taller than the 5'8". Oh, five eight. my God. That That's dude bullshit. Is, dude, Justin Thomas five is eight. nothing. 5'8". If tops. that. If They're going to say he's 5'11". I bet you'll say that. No way. That dude is fucking tiny. Just 5'10". Bullshit. I'll call bullshit. He's no taller than fucking Fowler. That's pretty funny. All right. Anyway. Um, uh, so you have said on the last episode that you were going to upgrade wedges. Did you? No, you didn't even see them. I haven't seen the new ones you're talking about. Time out. All right, I'm going to give you a first impression real quick. We're going to do it on the pod. First impression. Um, when did they come out? They, they, they're on tour right now. Um, hold on. We've got the... Uh, the only club Vogue. I'm going to switch... Out of my bag is SM8s. Is I'm gonna go to back to the Vokies. I love my Mizunos, love my driver. Hybrids are fantastic, the Apex, but I'm gonna go back to the Vokies versus the Mizuno wedges. So, are you what are you bringing up? Let me bringing, see. I'm bringing you a picture that's coming. Boom. So first impressions, SM8s. I like them. Folky wedges. I like I, them. And I'm not even showing you the faces of it, all the different angles. This is just like the backside. I feel like they look like a muscle back freaking iron. And I, I like them. I fucking love them. I like them. It's done. Bought. We'll, we'll, we'll be trying those in uh, February. I mean, those are, I like those are some of the prettiest looking freaking wedges I've seen in a long time. Um, with the way they, I don't know. I, uh, the, the, I'm sure it'll depend on the grinds. It'll depend on a lot of other things as I look at those. I'm due for a 60 degree. Um, so it could be very interesting. To it's see what done. Happens. I'm trying. I mean, Vogue, to me, they're just better wedges. They're the best wedges in the game. Uh, you know, I used to think that Cleveland had the market. Like, there way were, back. There, there was a time where Cleveland had the market. I agree. And, they, and um, uh, I, I don't know what happened. And I, maybe it's because of the price of equipment. Maybe it's co- co- uh, elitists of equipment. I, I, I really don't know. Um, but there are there are the prettiest wedges, in my mind, are the Vokey wedges. And there are a few, um, I will call them in-between options. That's the best way I can describe it. In that if you are a person that isn't like loyal to one particular brand, you may find, and I'll, and I'll, I'll go extremes with this, but um, you may find a gap wedge 
that fits your set better. So let's say you're not a Titleist iron, pl- iron player. You may find that the gap wedge in Mizuno better fit or ping or whatever. fit. You feel like it fits your set better because the way it sets up, it looks... Because you're more likely to swing, for example, a gap wedge like full, just like you would a pitching wedge. Um, and or, and this is the other extreme, or, like, and this is my example... Um, the 60 degree, because it's the wedge that you hit the majority of your short game shots with, you elect to pick a model that just fits your eye. And where I say that is I've, I've always found that the grind in a Vokey wedge fits me better on the 60 degree because I don't swing it as full as often and whatever it is. Um, it makes sense. And I'm even, and here's the other piece that I'm going to throw in there, what um, TaylorMade has done with the high toe wedge, with the uh, with the with the grooves going all the way to the toe and all that stuff. Those things. It there's something interesting about Who's that. Who's ever going to hit it off that high toe? That doesn't make any sense. Um, I do when I open up my shots. So okay, all right. That's something. You know what? I can actually see that. If you open up your face, I you do try open to hit up flop, face. and you hit flop shots. And you look, and if you look after you hit that flop shot, you look down and you see where the impact was. It's going to be more toward the toe, most 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 likely, and that's why that's designed that way. So, so anyway, there's 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 technology and innovation in that design that I like. There is design and character that I like in the Vokey on the sixty degree. Because I'm a ping iron player, I play my 51 and my 56 um, just as within pings. So, like, here's the thing. Like, I'm in a one of our friends, Chad, side that actually he does. So he has a gap wedge in the 919 Tours. Yep. And then he also has a gap wedge on the Mizuno um, uh, Blue Ion. So he has a 50. Really? Yep. So that's actually what I'm going to do because the distance is it's like 10 yards. Huge gap, huh? Yeah, it's a big difference. Do you have a 20-yard gap between your pitching wedge and your gap wedge right now? I do. I do. Sucks. That, that is why I don't like the four So irons. what I'm going to do, I've got an extra club back, so I'm going to get the gap wedge yeah, you do. in my Mizuno 919s, and then I'm also going to get the, the – I'm going to the Vokies. Like I'm going to get a 50. Yeah. I like the play. 54. And a 58. Yeah. And then Bokies. Yep. I like it. It's my next year. And I'm keeping my putter because I yeah. love my putter. Your putter's fantastic. You had a great year with that. I would not stray from that. I'm I do- thought about changing. Like, I like that grip right there you have, the claw. I thought about putting that on that Super putter. I thought about it. Yeah. I think I might do it. Well, I, what I like, one one thing I like about that, and that where I'll throw it on, and you can always go back, obviously, to another a grip. One thing I like about that is it does have the weight you can put in at the top, and so there is the counterbalance weight, and you can choose. So Super Stroke will sell you a twenty-five gram, fifty gram, seventy-five gram, and you can do that counterbalance, and I feel like that makes a huge difference. I just like that one. Well, that one has the seventy-five gram uh, counterbalance in it, but I have a lot of weight in the head of that putter too. So it makes sense, right? Because I, I actually added weight to the head of that particular putter. So it makes sense to have that 75 gram in, in my, there. My head of my putter has a lot of weight. Correct. So you might put, depending on, again, it might be one of those things you adjust. Like you buy a couple, and they'll sell the insert separately. They'll send, they'll sell you the grip without any inserts, and then they'll sell you the weight separately. But I really like that grip. Oh, that grip's fucking great, especially for claw. I, yeah, I love the pistol end on the Why don't you the have that on any of your putters? I have it on my um my spider. Uh, spider. Yeah. You I do? Have, I have that exact grip on my spider. It's just red instead of blue. So I'm gonna go to it. I think I'm gonna go to it. I'll put it on for you. All right. It'd be great. It's gonna we'll, happen. Actually I have one in my garage. You want it? Yeah. Strip yours off. We'll fucking it. slap it on. Let's go. Even though mine has been good this year. You've been good. But it's been good. I like that grip. So I, w- I literally will give you the grip I have in my garage. We will put it on this winter. It'll be fantastic. The only thing I do not have for you is a um, counterbalance. And weight. if here here on this podcast, if I become a shitty putter, it's Mark's fault. Uh, I will strip it off and put. We'll buy you another. No, it's not going to happen. That putter, that grip is too good. Grip solid. Because it like actually lines you up too. 
with your hands, which I like. That's the idea, right? Yeah. That's, that's why it's the claw. <laughs> Fucking grip. Um, so <laughs> with that, uh, John and I are going to get at least... I'm getting new 60 degree wedge. John's getting all fucking new wedges. It'll be great, and it'll be a good year coming into uh, uh, next year. With that, we um, we're really excited. Um, so, our good friend on the podcast, Michael Hart, and I, we were at a charity event this last Friday, and um, we it was. It, by the way, this is a great cause, and I'm just gonna give it a shout out. So, uh, the the St. Mary's um, group. Uh, is is one here in Indianapolis in which they have two schools in Indianapolis that cater to underprivileged uh, preschool age children. And what they do is they provide opportunities for underprivileged children that are in tough environments, challenging environments, to get a preschool education that is fully funded. In Indiana, preschool education is something that is not government funded. So in a lot of other states, that is a government funded um, like option for uh, pre-kindergarten, essentially. Um, but in Indiana, it is not. So uh, state funding does not kick in for education until kindergarten. So what this, is, uh, what this group does is they have two schools that help take these underprivileged kids and teach them in these early years. And what this allows them to do is they start to read earlier, they start to learn earlier, and in turn they have a better chance of getting out of these tough situations that they're in. So um, the JC Hart company and the Hart family and everybody, we support this cause wholeheartedly. And we were at this charity event, which was fantastic um, in supporting this cause. And as part of it, uh, there was an auction, and a lot of fun and rooms and whatever else. But there was this guy, uh, Jason, I believe was his name, um, who is the owner of Old 55. And uh, Jason is um, his, he's like a third-generation farmer guy in Indiana. So they're in Newtown, Indiana, and which is kind of like a, I believe it's northwest, northeast, somewhere. It's a little bit north. Anyway, outside of Indianapolis. And um, they have created this concoction, which is a 100% sweet corn bourbon whiskey. And... He had a little uh, table set up, just kind of giving samples to people that were th at the event on Friday. And uh, we began, uh, and he, he, he gave us a sample of um, one of their regular bourbons and then this sweet corn. And I tell you what, we were blown away um, for something that is only four years old. So, by the way, you know, most bourbons are aged eight years roughly, uh, six to eight years, somewhere in there. Before they even bottle them, and this is only a four-year-old bourbon, and uh, I said, "Hey, can I buy that bottle off you right now?" Because <laughs> I really wanted it. You know, he, he shared it with us, and uh, um, he said he couldn't sell it to us right there. And I almost like slipped him like a hundred bucks or whatever. Anyway, I was like, "No, really, we're taking this off your hands right now." Um, but he tells he told the story that it, you know it's he's been uh, distributing it in uh, Big Red Liquors, uh, a lot of the uh, local liquor stores in Indiana, and um, as well as actually been selling it overseas with huge popularity. And uh, so I happened to pop into uh, one of our local liquor stores, Vine and Table, and uh, found a bottle. And it wasn't cheap, by the way, um, but I thought it was unique, and we should pick it up, and we should try it on the podcast. And so, uh, John, let's give it let's a whirl. It. Let's do it. 100% sweet corn bourbon whiskey. It's been sitting on ice a little bit. So, but it's got, but I had it initially and it's got a, I'm going to actually gonna make like a, just a little, yep. yeah, give yourself a splash, a little splash. But so when Michael and I, and Michael's a friend of the podcast, obviously, um, but when Michael and I um, first tasted this, he had it neat for us. Um, and so we just, we just drank this with n no coolant, if you will, and no water. And, um, and I, we were kind of blown away by the flavor. And, and one of the initial things that we, we thought... Take a drink of it, like, now after I pull it in. That is... Um, 
That's solid. That's probably that's the best Indiana whiskey so, base I've ever had. So for a four year old, now he cuts it down, and he's told us his story on this. So he cuts this down. It's only eighty proof, by the way, which I like. So the reason he cuts this down is because he wants to maximize what he has. Um, he's trying to maximize the number of bottles, and I, from an entrepreneur standpoint, I can't blame him for it. So like he basically he he totally admitted to us that he waters it down to make it eighty proof. And I was like, I was like, okay, that do what you got to do, but that's so he can maximize the number of bottles he can sell right now. And I, I will say, at an early age, uh, distillery, four years in, that's, I can't, I can't totally blame. That's him. actually pretty pathetic. Like, I, really? I mean, I don't mind being forty proof. I get still taste. No, like it's good. eighty proof. No, I know. Excuse me, forty percent alcohol. Yeah, but for him to say that, that's just. Hey. He was being transparent, and I actually kind of appreciated that. But at the same time, you're kind of like, all right, well, what else are you going to do? Now, that being said, he had three other different uh, varieties that he's been working on, and I'm sure they're all different ages. and There are different ways that he's doing it. Um, but he, he literally said you know, he's cutting it down a little bit, and I think he needs to grow his facilities. And once he, once he grows his facilities and they age his stuff longer, I think it can only get better. It's very unique. It's I'm, the only one in the nation. I'm going to give it an opinion right now. Yep. It's good. It's really good. But me and you could be subjective because we're just Indiana yep. homegrown guys. Yep. That, but this is good whiskey. It really is. It's, it's solid. Like, it goes down I, great. It's, it's well, smooth. I've, I've, had, I've had much shittier scotch. <laughs> oh, fuck. Like, I think about... So, you know what's interesting about what we drank last week with the whistle pig, and what's interesting about this, and what's interesting about the scotch we drank. And by the way, I've got I've got that Daneson I was telling you about um, that uh, my dad said he really likes, and we're going to try that next week, but or on the next pod. I like this better than the whistle pig. Um, so I do. So that's the thing. I think the beauty of whiskeys and bourbons and scotches. I mean, they're all whiskeys, right? Is that there are a lot of different ways to make it. And there's a lot of different ways to probably drink it. Like people will drink it on a rock. People will drink it neat. Um, to me, this one, it goes down with a little bit of alcohol, but it kind of goes down. It, 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 when we first drank it, it was weird. It was kind of burning going down, but it was. Now that I'm started, I've kept drinking it. Nah, it's good now. It, we just had to kind of clean our palate with yeah. it. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it, it has a very unique flavor with this corn. I think they've got a fantastic thing going um, here with a really unique angle with the hundred percent sweet corn. I recommend it. Yes, but I don't know if it's worth a buck fifteen. So that's where I'm going to go with it as well. Is that um, uh, would I gift it? Probably. Here's where I'm going to go where I wouldn't gift it. I'm not gifting it at one hundred fifteen bucks. No. No, it's it's a good it's a this to me it was like a sixty dollar bottle. It's 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 a really cool thing. Fifty for your, to sixty dollar bottle. It's a really cool thing for your collection. Um, we were talking about it earlier today. I talked about it with Michael Hart earlier today. Um, I'm gonna go out if I've got a hundred dollars to spend. I'm probably gonna go buy that uh, Elijah Craig that we were drinking a few weeks ago. Um, I'm I'm also. Gonna I, shoot! I'll I'll drop forty dollars. What's the blends? What's the blends cost? Fifty five bucks. <laughs> and I I if I got a hundred dollars, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and buy that Class Azul uh, tequila. Now, that said, what I think is unique about bourbon and what I think is unique about this is this is a really cool thing to have in your collection. And so, if while I wouldn't gift this, if you are a collector, I would totally go out and get this because. This is a cool collector bottle. So if you're a bourbon collector, I think you should go out and find one of these old 55s. I think over the next few years, this is only going to get more impressive uh, and better, and they're going to get better at what they do and the age of what they have. And uh, It's good. I think, I think that's where the that's where the value comes in. It may be worth $114 three, four years from now um, because – it has built up what what it is right now. But for what it is at four years old, it's fucking solid. It's good. It's really solid. And so while I wouldn't gift it because I think it's a little pricey to gift, I do think it's worth collecting. Good. Cool. Recommend. Love it. 
All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate you uh, keeping in tune with us for season one. And now, of course, season two on behalf of John and myself. Go out there, get more greens to score better. Thanks. Thanks, guys.